This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 558 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, Nerds. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, we're pointing our review spotlight at Arno Stark's debut in Iron Man 2020 and the conclusion of Robert Venditti's Freedom Fighters. After that, it's time for cocktails as we review eight more of this week's comics in the ludicrous speed round. Then it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're rapping about our must-read comic picks for next week, and we'll end the show answering one lucky listener's Superman question in our Ask a Nerd segment. But before we get to any discussion of colored kryptonite and super flare powers, we better talk about this week's Nerd News. Nerd News. It's a quick one. Yeah, it was. It was fast. It snuck right up on me. From the... They're making a movie about who, Desk? A new international trailer for Columbia Pictures' Bloodshot has been released, revealing more of Vin Diesel's action scenes as the nanite-powered super soldier. Meanwhile, Sony Pictures has revealed the first trailer for Morbius. Starring Jared Leto in the title role as the vampiric Michael Morbius, the film is the first expansion of Sony's universe of Marvel characters. That's in all caps. Because that's what they're calling. I think calling they're it. calling this the Spidey Villain Verse. No, they're not calling it the Spidey Villain Verse. I'm serious. That's what I've seen it referred to as. No, the Spidey Villain Verse. It's Sony's universe of Marvel characters. That's what they're calling it instead of the MCU. Barf. Yeah. Uh, of course, this kicked off with the Spider-Man adjacent Venom. Matt Bomb. We've watched both trailers now. Let's talk about them. That's not funny. Let's talk about um. Uh, the new Bloodshot trailer didn't give us that much new stuff we haven't seen. I thought you we got to see a lot more of his nanites freaking out and doing stuff. We saw a little more of that. But, I mean, other than that, it's pretty much, we know what's going on. And I think it looks really good. I and I think Vin Diesel is a great choice for it. I'm excited. And I think it's going to be fun. But other than that, we haven't seen much. And, look, I love Vin Diesel as much as the next guy. He's not the greatest leading man. So <laughs> you shut your mouth. You shut your mouth about my family. I'm just saying. We shall see. Morbius, on the other hand, Morbius looks kind of like a treat. It looks kind of fun. It looks I like it shocked. could be fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But here, so like, he's he they they give it they give you the full Morbius. He's he they, he turns around for a second and he's got the weird pig nose and the white skin. They went. Full Morbius, yeah. Uh, but he's got like uh, he's got a bunch of weird. He's like bamfing around. Well, I mean, like vampires can do that. They can turn into mist and stuff. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Morbius has you know, never really been able to do that. Mist but. and bats, and you can turn. Yeah. Now the Morbius we know has never been able to do. So that, my so. question is: Are they really? Are they going to lean more towards like supernatural vampire, or is he going to be a science vampire, like the living vampire? This looks like a scientist that tried to use vampirism as a cure for something and turned into full-on fucking vampire. So there's there's a <laughs> scene know? there's a scene in the trailer where it shows what happens to him to turn him into Morbius. And I yeah. don't quite understand the sequence of events. He walks up to a cave, he cuts his hand, he puts Obviously his, vampire bath. He puts his bloody hand on the loom of fate or whatever the fuck that was. I don't know. And then a bunch of bats come out at him. Uh it looks like it, maybe it's supposed to hold him in check or, or yeah, something maybe it was and like something a, goes wrong. Maybe it was like a, and they, like a, something that attracts them or something. Or like a force field or something and something yeah, goes know. wrong and they all come out because you see the soldiers behind him and stuff are all like, oh no, right. like, this was not supposed to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, now the big thing, the big thing that happens in the Morius trailer that's kind of a game changer is the fact that Michael Keaton shows up as Adrian Toomes. I'm not sure why you freaked out about this so much. Explicitly I mean, linking like, this film to Spider-Man Homecoming Universe. Well, I mean, why not? Which takes place That's in the Sony Marvel film. Cinematic Universe. Yeah, but it's still a Sony film, and they have the rights to do that and use those characters and stuff. We know that. I think it's a bigger deal than you're 
than you're imagining it to be. I really don't. I, like, you've I, got I mean, it stuck honestly, in your head that they can't reference Marvel at all in any way, but of course they can. No, 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 no. They can reference characters that appeared in their movie from the Avengers, and that's it. Now, they can also use their own characters from their movies as well. Okay, but they can use a character like Toombs, I'm sure, because he was the main character invented for that Spider-Man film and thrown in there. And they're going to build some type of there, Sinister Six thing. Yeah, that was I always the like, plan. I understand how the plot progression is going to work, but there, there's no way they put in a character that is explicitly tied to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and not expect people to think something of it. Do you think you're ever going to see that character in an MCU movie, a straight up Marvel movie? Maybe. No. no, you won't. Maybe. And there's only plans for two more Marvel movies with Spider-Man in them, you, and there's rumors they're going to write him out of continuity in some exact, sort of Spider-Verse. You thing. said this exact same shit when they announced that when they made the deal for Spider-Man. You're like, nope, nope, nope. It's never going to happen. No, all I'm saying is we know the deal is only for two more films right now. The deal and is then, for two more films right now. Yeah, and then Sony's either going to try and renegotiate or say it's our ball we've made enough money and we feel we've built a universe and we can do something with it which it looks like they're doing by insinuating adrian tombs into the morbius movie hey, they're look, trying to build their own corner i get and it they don't want to play with marvel they want the money yes that's why they want to play with marvel <laughs> because they want the money regardless this has nothing to do with the trailer we're talking about we're talking about the trailer this is way more morbius than I thought they were going to go. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And people are, there were some people on Twitter that obviously aren't comic book people, and they're like, oh, dig this. His name's Dr. Michael Morbius. What are you kidding me? I'm like, is that any weirder than Dr. Victor Von Doom? No, like, but are you they probably me? make fun of that too. <laughs> I'm excited. No, I think it I, looks I'm like cautiously fun. optimistic for Morbius. I'm excited for Bloodshot. Like, I, I think Bloodshot looks like trashy fun, and I'm okay if it's just trashy fun. Well, sure, and there's nothing to you have nothing to lose. Just make a great action film. Yeah, we're not expecting anything. You got Vin Diesel. He looks like Bloodshot. He gets killed. He comes back. Great. I'm in. All right. He got nothing to lose. You know? Nothing to lose. <laughs> From the ever-growing X-Book desk, writer Leah Williams and artist David Baldion will launch a Dawn of X era volume of X Factor, focusing on the five who are the mutants who collectively resurrect. Dead Mutants. Announced through Polygon, X-Factor brings together a team of Prodigy, Polaris, Rachel Gray, who is now calling herself Prestige. She's been is doing that, that right? for a while. I hate that name. That yes, is it's dumb. terrible. Eyeboy and Dokken. Under the leadership of Northstar, whose husband Kyle will also play a key role in the story. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. Yeah, you know, the like famous X-Man, Kyle. Everybody has code names and Kyle. <laughs> The team will report to the five investigating how and why a given mutant died before resurrecting them and enforcing what X-Factor number one solicitation calls the rules of reincarnation. What's more? Williams will use the Dawn of X Alliance inclusion of back matter to tell a side story centered on a mystery to be unpacked in the extra pages. Here's a quote. In X-Factor number one, we present a kind of game via the data pages, and I want to encourage reader participation in figuring it all out. This is Leah Williams speaking, by the way. The entire series is layered with clues about mutant resurrection's ultimate endgame, but you'll have to keep reading to figure it all out. Um, Leah Williams is not a name that excites me. Me either. I love David Bollion. I do, too. David Baldion is very good. I would like to say I've been hit or miss with Leah Williams, but I think I've been a lot more miss. Mostly miss lately. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's funny. I was re-listening to uh, last year's Beppos, I think, in preparation for, pardon me, 2018's Beppos, in preparation for uh, our recent award show, and there was a bunch of uh, high praise for something Leah Williams had done. She was pretty new on the scene at the time. But everything she's done, like since Age of X Man, yeah, I've been pretty cold on that. Uh, most recent Gwenpool book was not good, and uh, the Amazing Mary Jane is one of the worst comics I've ever read. Yeah, so I don't know about this. If she's got a great idea, I mean, fine, I'll read it. I hope it's good. I like the idea of X Factor always being like a working group with a mission that does this thing. 
Yes. I like that. Whether it's like we're working for the government or we're working to take down the Sentinels or whatever it is. I like that X Factor has a mission. Yeah. It's, we'll it's, see if it's good. The team is fine. Yeah. I don't have any problem. I love North Star and I love that North Star is getting a job like running a team. That's great. Yeah, that's very cool. I like iBoy and I like Prodigy, you know, whatever. And it's been a while since we've seen Dokken. I'm not going to go as far as to say I like iBoy. Oh, I, I like iBoy. fine with iBoy. <laughs> uh, he was in that recent uh, Generation X reboot from a couple years back. I, yeah, I like iBoy. Oh, he was also in Jason Aaron's uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. X-Men. Yeah, that's true. He was there. Uh, so he's been around for a while. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like the idea, and I agree with you. I like I like it when uh, these books have a clear mission statement. Some right. of them I feel don't. Uh, Fallen Angels uh, is what, one of what them. What are you talking about? That's a team of badasses that goes out to do badass shit, You're right. dude. Uh, oh, you mean <laughs> X-Force? <laughs> Uh, no, no, <laughs> it's a different team of badass. Thankfully, Fallen Angels is coming to an end because that book is aggressively terrible. Yeah, I, they already I, announced it's canceled, or was it a miniseries? Um, I don't know if it was solicited as a miniseries, but it is definitely coming to a close. Oh, now it is a miniseries. Yeah, miniseries. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like the idea. I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm a sucker for X Factor. It takes me back to the original X-Men getting back together way back in the day. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Blew me away. Enough of this X-Crap. Let's talk Outlaws. All right. Marvel has announced a number of new titles spinning out of the events of the upcoming Outlawed One-Shot, which will make teen crime fighting illegal. Which, honestly... Probably should be. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, really. <laughs> it's downright fucking dangerous. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it when these Marvel events come out and like w one side is clearly presented as sensible and responsible. Right. And yet they are treated as the bad guys. The, uh, somebody in the government saying, you know what? Uh, the, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Right. Keep, take their masks away, please. Uh, <laughs> and like, okay, I'm a criminal and I got busted by a minor. And now what? The cops come and pick me up and I go, no, this arrest doesn't count. That was some vigilante that entrapped me. And it was a kid. <laughs> like, yeah. What is the legal status of this? You know? <laughs> All right. Well, first up, we've got a relaunched Champions series by Eve L. Ewing and artist Simone DeMeo, which will have a tighter focus on the core trio of Ms. Marvel, uh, I'm calling him Kid Nova, now that Rich Rider is back, and Miles Morales. Uh, here's the solicitor for this book. The champions return in troubled times. A law is passed that goes against everything Ms. Marvel, Nova, and Spider-Man founded the champions for, but the world still needs heroes, even if the world doesn't want them right now. After Ms. Marvel makes an unexpected and emotional announcement that her team won't go down without a fight, a group of teen vigilantes gathers to plan their next move, but the cradle task force is hot on their trail and there's wow. a spy in their midst. Uh, that's C period, R period, A period, dot, dot, dot cradle. Yeah, they thought about that one. Like I get shield, it. but for I kids. I get it. <laughs> uh, next I up we got power. I, pack. I can't wait to find out what cradle stands for. <laughs> God. Next up we got power pack. Power pack will be reunited in a new five issue miniseries. Writer Ryan North. We like him a lot. And artist Nico Leon. Here's your solicit. Power Pack is back. Katie, Julie, Jack, and Alex Power have been superheroing since they were learning to tie their own shoes. It's been ages since they fought side by side as a family, but a special occasion and an old grudge is about to put the gang back together. There's just one teeny tiny hiccup. A brand new law restricting underage superheroes because the Power Pack are terminally 12. Right. But surely... If the fate of all New York City is at stake, the powers that be will make an exception, right? Keep your fingers crossed as the power siblings fight for their right to save the world. I think Alex and Julie are like college graduates <laughs> at this point. <laughs> are, I, like they I mean, are like, depicted as adults, yes. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they grew up a little bit, right? The real question is, do you care about Power Pack? I care about Power Pack by Ryan North because he's a great writer. He's a very good writer. Uh, and I also think it's nice that we're getting a power pack story that's not done in that super kitty all ages style, which is that's what they've been cool. doing f with them for years. Yes. Um, that said, if the horse face chameleon aliens don't show up, I'm out. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got to have them in there. <laughs> Friday, the talking spaceship. Oh, yeah. Give it to me. And finally, because Marvel will never pass up a chance to try and break my heart, the new Warriors are back in a new series by writer Daniel Kibblesmith and artist Luciano Vecchio. This was announced via Sci-Fi Wire. The new volume of New Warriors brings back classic team members Night Thrasher, Namorita, Speedball, Rage, Firestar, and Silhouette. Just saying that makes me happy. Uh, alongside gang. five still unnamed new recruits. According to Kibblesmith, core member Justice, who uh, formerly known as Marvel Boy, will also play a role in the book, but he has a quote-unquote larger role in the overall story of Outlawed. I bet he's a fucking narc. Probably. <laughs> he was he always is. the first one to sign up. The series length was not specified, probably so that they can say it was supposed to be a miniseries all along. Of uh, course. When it inevitably fails. So at least they're going to be a little older and they are bucking the system and saying, no way, we were kid heroes and we're right. not putting up with this law that obviously takes care of kids that are endangered and probably <laughs> shouldn't be doing this. Screw that. <laughs> we're yeah, going mean, to the fight new, for these the new kids. Warriors, the new Warriors. We're going to fight for the kids' <laughs> rights to die. <laughs> the new Warriors were always about doing what they thought was right, even if it wasn't necessarily approved. Right, like, like storming a house and blowing up a bunch of people in, in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Was that Connecticut? Is that where they were? That Stanford. Uh, uh, I'm definitely excited about New Warriors, obviously. Uh, I'm excited to have the the bulk of the original team back. Past Stanford, volumes, Connecticut, where the yeah. New Warriors killed 612 people, including several members of the New Warriors that are now feeling much better. And, all, and also <laughs> several children. Yes. Uh, no, the only new warrior, I think Namorita and Namorita and Night Thrasher were the only members of the original team that bit it. Uh, but yeah, they're obviously feeling they're, they're feeling much better now. They, we've uh, already talked about this outlaw thing, and I don't think it's a bad idea. It gives them something to do with these characters like champions and whatnot, who are great characters. Their book just wasn't selling really well. So I'm hoping this injects. Some yeah, it gives the, it gives them a mission statement, yeah. uh, like we talked about with X Factor. Like it, it says, exactly. "Hey, this is what these teen heroes are about." Um, I I'm happy that Eve Ewing is uh, getting a, another shot at a big book, or you know, she's really good. And yeah, so I'm definitely I, I I think they're putting some quality creators behind them. I hope they do well. I think Outlawed sounds like a lot of fun. Would you like to put a wager on how long New Warriors is around before it's canceled again? I'll be surprised if it lasts more than a year. I'm taking the under. In fact, uh, I, if you want to go over under 10, I would take the under. <laughs> uh, and, until they definitively announce whether they intended it to be a mini, I'll be pleasantly surprised if it lasts more than a year. Fair enough. We'll see. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while sorting through old rejected speedball scripts. Don't forget my super dark pennant scripts. He left that behind. He put that behind him. I won't tell you again. So hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time. It's smarter than betting on the Texans and the Packers this weekend. That's a football joke. And yes. you control the content. There is a contest of football champions this weekend, if that helps. I don't understand the reference. This week, we're talking about your favorite nerdy celebrity encounters, amongst other things. Call us live on the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894, or click the Call Now button on the Facebook page. And if you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Like several people have already done this week. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's spotlight review time in the Ziggurat, and Joe tried to get me to read 12 damn comics instead of one. But I said, screw all that! So, Joe, you get to go first, and you're on your own. <laughs> Those are slanderous hey. lies. Do you, are you not following what I'm saying here? I, I didn't read it. <laughs> oh, why didn't you just read it? <laughs> I'm behind by like 11 issues, I think. <laughs> you cry, baby. I told you a week ago what my pick was. 
I'm reviewing Freedom Fighters number 12 from DC Comics, written by Robert Venditti, with art by Eddie Barrows. It's 32 pages for $3.99. The final showdown between the forces of freedom and the axis of oppression crashes to a cataclysmic conclusion. Will a fully powered Uncle Sam be enough to stop Cyborg Overman? What dark impulses must Phantom Lady tap into to stop the Plastic Men? And wait a minute, did Adolf Hitler III just murder his own father in cold blood? Oh, you're going to need to read this one to believe it. Dot, dot, dot. That's a solicit. They're really reeling you in. The people of the world are rallying. Uncle Sam is at full strength, and the second American Revolution has begun. Writer Robert Venditti has done an amazing job getting me invested in the lives of what are essentially brand new characters, or new versions of old ones at least. The Freedom Fighters are true heroes willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for their country, and they are all equally compelling characters. There's a lot going on in this story, but Venditti takes the time to establish a real connection between the members of the team. They mourn each other's losses and celebrate each other's victories. The human bomb gets a big moment in this issue that gave me chills. And I know the idea of supernatural avatars that represent the ideals of a nation is a hokey concept. Matt and I have argued about it before, but I love Uncle Sam so much. I can't stand Uncle Sam. I love him so much. Seeing him stomp Ratsies is incredibly satisfying. Eddie Barrows continues to impress me more and more with each new project. He is a gifted action artist. The fight between Uncle Sam and the cyborg Overman was brutal. His layouts are incredibly dynamic. They're full of interesting camera angles. He's also capable of delivering some really disturbing character designs when necessary. Uh, The plastic men are terrifying. And Hitler Jr. Jr. is one of the scariest (laughs) characters in the whole series. And he's just a dude. (laughs) Huge props as well to inker Eber Ferreira and colorist Adriano Lucas. The three of them really come together and this book shines. It's gorgeous. Freedom Fighters probably should have been my Beppo winner for best miniseries of 2019. It was an incredible read from start to finish, which Matt would know if he had bothered to read it. It's true. Though it has good a, for Robert Vendetti, though. Really yeah. good for him. Though it has a pretty definitive ending with one of the most cathartic final pages in recent memory. I would absolutely love a sequel from this team in the future. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Now, this is like completely different world, though. It right? is an alternate universe. Yes. Earth X. Okay. I didn't catch up and I didn't read it. Uh, I haven't read <laughs> Iron Man for the last year and a half, but I read your pick. Fair enough. My pick this week was Iron Man 2020, number one from Marvel. It is written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage with art by Pete Woods, graphic designer Carlos Lau. It was 32 pages and it was three ninety nine. Here is your solicit. Robot Rebellion battles for the establishment of robot rights. Bullet! And Arno Stark is Iron Man! You don't start a sentence with and. Come on, guys. Plus! Pete Woods. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Matt, I mean, this all sounds fine, but what are you really going to sell me on to get me to buy this book? Hold on to your butts, folks. Pete Woods' main cover art will feature a fifth cover fluorescent ink treatment fifth, and fifth color the best part of this is marvel spelled fluorescent wrong i copy and pasted this <laughs> dan slot built a reputation as a disruptor during his tenure on amazing spider-man his ideas were insane and even drew death threats from fans before they actually read the stories and liked them that is see his superior spider-man run for the ultimate example of that During his Spidey run, Slot had been criticized for taking the Peter we knew and loved and turning him into an unrecognizable billionaire inventor, engineer, and CEO. And as insane as it was, I had a pretty good time with his run. So it only seems logical for Slot's next step is to take over Marvel's premier billionaire inventor engineer, Tony Stark, right? Now, I admit I fell behind on Slot's Iron Man, and it wasn't because it was terrible but more to the point it wasn't because it was that good either it was forgettable i found yeah 
Last I checked in, Tony had just developed a VR world called the Escape that was very Ready Player One inspired and, of course, <laughs> led to trouble at the hands of the controller. Tony has been dating Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp. There's been plenty of action so far, but it felt like all flash and no real character development. Slot's whole run so far has been leading up to this AI versus humanity idea, and he's kind of beat it into the ground, honestly. So while it's completely nutso and a huge shakeup, I don't hate the idea of Arno stepping in as Iron Man, even with gigantic shoulder pad gears that he couldn't possibly see over, and acting as the overzealous defender of humanity. It's a, He's got like a one of those 360 cameras, like a fancy car. Sure, like the Chevy Invisible trailer function, right? Pete Woods and Carlos Lau team up to make this comic look incredible. From the digital effects floating in the air while Arno was working in his office to Woods' slick action and dramatic paneling, you can't ask for a more visually exciting, techie look for an Iron Man story. And by the way, I can look at Pete Woods drawing Z-list Marvel robots all day long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Slot and Gage packed the story with robot guest stars in the story that sees robots asking for equal rights as sentient beings. And yes, the story is completely over the top and part of a huge crossover. And not all of it's going to be as fun as this issue. All that aside, I had fun here. I was a little lost at first, I admit, but there was a nice Arno Stark timeline in the back that definitely helped. I'm treating this as the next issue of Iron Man and Slot's run. And taking that into account, I gotta say, it's more exciting than what's been going on, so I'm giving it a buy it. But also keep in mind, this is part of a massive 18-part crossover. So it's very hard to give it a buy it. As a standalone issue, buy it. Iron Man 2020 is a crossover. We shall see. You know, I'm kind of conflicted about it. I read enough. I was kind of up to date, at least in knowing what was going on in Iron Man. I had read that um, the, the the robot uprising stuff with Machine Man, that had been going on since the beginning. That said, there's still a lot of stuff that I was like really... Um, gobsmacked. Not gobsmacked, but there, <laughs> there were a lot of things that I weren't, that I wasn't uh, uh, in the know about, like the idea that Tony decided that he was an AI program and not a real person. Did he decide that? Because they kind of, the way that it's written in here, I don't think that is the case. Yes. They said, but they said that at the, at, in civil war two, Iron Man is accidentally killed by captain Marvel. Right. And they, they download his consciousness into a cloned body. And at the end of Tony Stark, Iron Man, the previous volume, he comes out and says, I'm not really Tony Stark. Tony Stark is dead. Oh, okay. Uh, like he came out and he came out to the world and See, said, I'm more computer than like man. Makes, suddenly when you put it in that like frame, this book makes so much more sense. And I actually like it even more. But, I mean, <laughs> but that, but again, like, all right. So you've got the X-Men doing well, God knows what on their, on their hedon, their hedonistic mutant island paradise. Uh, and they're just downloading copies of people's brains into new bodies. Are they not real? All we've said is they're acting weird and they're not real and they're pod people. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. I just I think the revolving door of death in the Marvel Universe was actually a plot point in this week's issue of Jane Foster. And I don't think anybody at Marvel is on the same page with how it works. No. Uh, no. Well, I don't think anybody in the comic book business. <laughs> fair, fair. How death um, works. I mean, it, it, it's like. This was a pretty wild ride, and the art is gorgeous. I love it, Pete yeah. Woods. Uh, Beautiful. So I'm going to give this a buy it as well. I am not sold on some of these tie-ins that are coming, like I Wolverine. Yeah, What we'll is see. that? To be fair, there is a history of a robot Wolverine duplicate yes. that's been running around like, for a long Fingers crossed that it's, this is about <laughs> Albert and LCD from... <laughs> Bullet, the future is now. Artificial intelligences presents clear and present danger to humanity and must be brought to heal. That's got to be some sort of Bullet. title. And I it love is. it. Uh, I'm giving this a buy it because at least it interested me more than the earlier storylines in the previous volume. I just don't remember the gear shoulder pads being that big. They were not that big. No. Yeah, they're huge. In they, they are, uh, <laughs> as I would, I would call them Lytheldian. Thank you.
So that is a buy it for Freedom Fighters number 12 and a double buy it for Iron Man 2020 number one. We will post our written reviews over at 200nerd.com so angry robots and AI can DDoS our opinions out of existence. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics too. Call us this weekend on THN cover to cover and it's new time. Well, it's just, it's now regular time. 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time. Before we leap into the ludicrous speed round, let's turn it over to the official THN bartender, Justin Robert Fletcher, to introduce the cocktail of the week, brought to you by O'Courant on the Benson Strip, right here in Omaha. Take it away, Mr. Fletcher. Okay, so uh, this week we've got the Bitter End. Um, it is a red drink that is basically a Bovardier play, um, but we can take that back to Negroni. So Negroni is equal parts of gin and Campari and sweet vermouth. The Bovardier is the exact same drink, except instead of gin, you're going to take rye. This is basically my play on a Bovardier that's going to feature 100 proof tequila instead. So it's 100 proof tequila, a half ounce of Campari, a half ounce of Cassis, a quarter ounce of Averna, Amaro, and two dashes of a clove tincture. Put it all in a stirring vessel, stir it all up with some ice for about 60 seconds, put it into a cup with no ice, and express a lemon over the top. Done. Powerful enough to suck the powers out of Superman. Exactly. All right, then. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Now, with drink in hand, join us as we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Legion of Superheroes, number three from DC. We're three issues in to Bendis' high-profile Legion relaunch, and honestly, it's all a bit frantic. We've got two dozen characters weaving through multiple subplots, and there's been zero effort to introduce any of them, aside from a select few. There's already a guest artist, Travis Moore, splitting pages with Ryan Sook, and as is typical of Bendis' team books, it's just... 20 pages of characters shouting at each other. Surprise, the running joke about Superboy not watching the orientation video is actually a major plot point, which probably needed more attention in the first issue and not four issues in, which is when we're actually gonna get to see it. All of that said, I still have a ton of fun reading this comic book. And as much as having fill-in artists this early kind of bugs me, it is a gorgeous comic. Legion of Superheroes 3 may be a bit of a disjointed mess, but it's still a joy to read. I'm still giving it a buy it. Let's talk about this bear. Rom, Dire Wraiths number one from IDW. Speaking of disjointed messes, it's been quite some time since I've paid any attention to the IDW Rom stuff, but as I recall, it was really hard for me to care about the character outside of the Marvel Universe. Now, I can add having no clue what's going on to my list of criticisms to this book as well. The story is set during the original 1969 moon landing, if you believe in that garbage, but there seems to be a secret space program that is way more advanced than the actual space program run by people in colored suits, Power Rangers style. The new Dire Wraiths have been redesigned to be scarier, I guess, but they kind of look like Mars Attacks aliens if they were taller and had more eyes. There was even a panel where one Dire Wraith says to a human that it's about to kill, Maybe there's something more dire going on. And then I vomited all over the comic book. I didn't know what was happening. There was no info to set up a new reader, and I had to read it twice to figure out the secret space program. But honestly, I could be making that up to fill the plot holes. I'm not totally sure. There's also a backup story with Rom and a masked space bear yeah, flying around. I didn't get that at all. Leave it. Now, <laughs> now clearly, it's it's more of this Hasbro shared universe bullshit. Adve I guess. Adventure Adventure Team was an established thing. It was a branch of the 12 inch GI Joe, uh, and they have international money. So yeah, they're a little bit fancier. Okay, but there was like no introduction. There was nothing. It was just like the astronauts knew who they were. I don't think Cape Canaveral knew who they were. The rest of the world certainly doesn't because they were sending a shitty spacecraft in the 60s to the moon when these guys had a kick-ass spaceship. Clandestine. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. Second coming, number six from Ahoy. Mark Russell, Leonard Kirk, and Richard Pace bring the first volume of Second Coming to a close with a take on the Justice League 
that's more like a support group than a super team, the wedding of Sunstar and his uh, now wife Sheila, and the last, last temptation of Jesus Christ. This series has been a real treat. Wickedly smart, beautifully drawn, insightful, funny, and with a surprising amount of heart. I'm excited for more Second Coming. I hope it comes soon. I'm giving this a buy it. Get caught up before they launch Volume 2, babies. Second, second coming. Second, second coming. Hellboy Winter Special 2019 from Dark Horse. Just in time. Yes. This one is a little late, but it's still always my favorite holiday special. Mike Mignola and the gang team for three quick winter-inspired tales. Mignola writes the first with the weird cartoon stylings of Mark Laszlo, who gives the story a grim fairy tale feel. I love Laszlo's quirky art, and it's perfect for the story of Hellboy helping return a haunted coin to an angry ghost. Then Chris Robertson tells the tale of a murder mystery with a demonic twist in a remote cabin during a blizzard on the longest night of the year with incredible art by Leela Del Duca. The colors by Michelle Madsen on the story use bright oranges and yellows of the firelight to bring a creepy glow to the story. And finally, Scott Alley writes the story of a monk and his brothers doing the Lord's dirty work with the creepy thin line of Andrea Moody on art. My only complaint with that one was it ended a little quick. All in all, this was just a fun winter special. Even if it was late, I'm giving it a buy it. Jessica Jones, blind spot, number one from Marvel. So I was reading this issue this afternoon and I thought to myself, why does this seem so familiar? <laughs> it's because not only had I already read it before almost a year and a half ago, but I reviewed it <laughs> on the show too. No shit. Yes, this is the first <laughs> chapter of the former digital exclusive series finally being released as a single issue in print form for the first time. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, two years later. So I'm just going to echo what I said way back in episode 495. <laughs> Kelly Thompson was the perfect choice to succeed Bendis as Jessica's writer. She leans heavy into the private eye aspect, which I love. And Mattia De, De Lewis, uh, her art is really fantastic. If you missed out on the Jessica Jones relaunch the first time, and then again the second time when it came out as a trade, then the third time's the charm, buy it. Why are they releasing this now like that? They're really capitalizing on the cancellation of all the Netflix shows, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Venom, the end, one shot from Marvel. Boy, oh boy, we need to talk about this. Whew. Writer Adam Warren and artist Jeffrey Chamba Cruz tackle the death of Venom, and it is one of the most bonkers Marvel cosmic tales I have read in a while. And let me tell you, there are some top-notch bonkers Marvel cosmic tales on the stands right now. Cruz's art is excellent. It's very clean and it pairs perfectly with the digital coloring of Guru effects, but it was VC's Clayton Cowles lettering that brought this story home. Warren's script is fantastic and it reads like the most interesting PowerPoint ever with a surprise narrator that suddenly brings the whole story into a different focus in the end. I have had a lot of fun with these The End storylines, but this might be the best one I have read yet. It is the full. Form it is so full. <laughs> it's <of> not babble. <laughs> it's like the format of the story was just a riot and wonderfully original with fantastic art and limitless imagination for this character. Why? Is Marvel making me care about symbiotes this much? I'm giving it a bite. I understand. Okay, like, I couldn't even get past the premise. I understand the idea that the Venom symbiote uh, bonded to Spider-Man, and so when it went from Spider-Man to Eddie Brock, Eddie Brock got Spider-Man powers. But that is not something that has happened any other time the symbiote oh, has no, no, bonded no. with anybody. It just stopped after that. Yeah. No, but they explained but it. Now he's like, Eddie Brock was I my favorite. I bonded with Wolverine that one time, so now it's healing factors for everybody. <laughs> but they explained it. Eddie Brock was my favorite, so that's where I stopped with the power stuff. And then much later, he, like, when he tapped into Jamie Madrox, who he was part of for a minute there, he started making a bunch of babies and shit. <laughs> it was so it was, good. It was so, <laughs> so bizarre. Oh, I loved it. I laughed through the whole thing. Speaking of laughing through the whole thing, Ruins of Ravencroft, Sabretooth, the one-shot from Marvel. <laughs> You'll see that I put one-shot in quotes there. Uh, <laughs> turns out Ruins of Ravencroft is actually a miniseries and not a series of one-shots. So That's I like hope nobody knew. Seriously, yeah. nobody knew. <laughs> I hope you didn't skip the first one like I did. 
then again, you might be better off skipping it altogether. Uh, as much as I love the core premise that there it was a Frankenstein-esque doctor conducting secret experiments on mutants, aliens, and supernatural creatures in the 1800s, I was disappointed to find out that it was just Mr. Sinister. Well, I mean, he is that Frankenstein-esque guy. It had a different feel to it, right? It was like, ooh, a Victor- different Frankenstein-esque doctor? Come on. Like, Mr. Sinister has a narrow focus. The, the, the cloning of mutant, mutant genetics. This was like, I took a part of Wendigo just to see what it looked like. I have scroll heads in a jar. It was like, gonna way... start somewhere? No, Come no, on. no. Look, <laughs> that guy does not need to be every mad scientist in the Marvel Universe, okay? Uh, Sabretooth, the title character, doesn't actually show up until 14 pages in, and that's only so they can shoehorn in an inexplicable Wolverine appearance. Uh, which, in hindsight, makes the cover a total spoiler because it's got Wolverine on it for some reason. <laughs> I was going to say, well, why is Sabretooth wearing Wolverine's That's costume? That's exactly what I <laughs> thought. Was I was like, is that Sabretooth in there? Frank Thierry has the spark of an interesting concept here, but Ruins of Ravencroft, Sabretooth hinges on a disappointing revelation, and the art is largely terrible. I'm giving Ooh. it a leave it. Okay. It was not good. Archie 710 from Archie. Just in time for next month's TV premiere, Katie Keene shows up in the Archie Forever Monthly, which is the new modernized Archie title, but suddenly it's issue 710, but it's also Archie and Katie Keene number one. Everybody with me here? Yeah, they did the same thing with the Sabrina (laughs) storyline. I had no clue. (laughs) But we're not here to talk weird numbering, folks. Mariko Tamaki and Kevin Panetta script the story about Riverdale's new fashionista mystery girl that everyone is dying to meet. Jughead is on the case in true Riverdale TV fashion, and I'm pleased to say this book is just as trashy and fun as the show. Laura Braga's art is emotive, and it gives the book a great-looking real-world feel, while Matt Herm's colors make Riverdale glow and Keen's fashion creations pop right off the page. This modernized Archie comic is in great hands with this creative team, and Katie seems like a great addition to their take on Riverdale. I like this way more than I thought I would. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, the, the, the modern styling Archie's been pretty great. I just don't get the whole numbering thing. Like, it started off as, like, Archie it, 1, and now it's 710. Yes. And they World went, of Archie, and, like, They reverted to the original numbering when they hit 700 Marvel style. It's They just oh, they pulled okay. a total comic book maneuver. But it's also Archie and Katie Keene number one. It's which not. Is what it says that's on the cover. just the storyline. They're just labeling it for the storyline. <laughs> There's too many numbers on the cover. Stop right? it. <laughs> it's like a Dragon Ball Z type thing. <laughs> speed round and scaboom is the sound of superboy body slamming ultra boys warlord father as seen in the pages of legion of superheroes number three and also a kick-ass name for a ska band from the 90s i hope somebody got on that yeah way ahead of you this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by anosianus via the thn facebook fan page if you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and, hey, and if you're a listener, it's your duty to do so, okay? Yeah. Don't make me come begging for it every week. And, hey, do you want to help stock the Ziggurat bar? Click our Donate Now button and buy us a bottle of booze, why don't you? We need to... Making that cocktail J- uh, Justin put together is not cheap. Whew, I'll tell you what. We'll even mention you in the Cocktail of the Week segment, and who doesn't want that? time to visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where this week we're doing our part for the fires in Australia. Our buddy Animal Man helped us convert the Sanctum into a makeshift koala sanctuary for 500 homeless koalas. Joe, did you know they were this loud? What? Joe, you don't want to step in that, but uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us about your pick for next week. My pick for next week is Guardians of the Galaxy number one from Marvel Comics. Written by Al Ewing with art by Juan Cabal. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Once they were a team of misfits. Now they're a family. And they've earned their peace. But the universe is not a peaceful place. And it's only getting worse. The great empires are in turmoil. The rule of law is dead. And amidst the chaos, the gods of Olympus have returned. Harbingers of a new age of war. Reborn to burn their mark on the stars themselves. 
Someone has to guard the galaxy, but who will accept the mission? Very excited for Al Ewing to jump on Guardians of the Galaxy. Hercules has got to be here, right? Her That's, Daddy. Yes, Come this on. is the whole, this is the, the cliffhanger ending of uh, Avengers Ain't No... Ain't no road home no more, or whatever we called it. <laughs> I can't uh, know what that was called. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's the it's the Greek gods reborn as cosmic deities. Cool. And Hercules is Herc Daddy is definitely there in a sleek new cosmic costume. Uh, I think this was that Avenger story was Avengers Road Home for Everybody but Conan. Yes, correct. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> uh, Juan Cabal is a great artist. He's been he's been he's killing fantastic. it on Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a good book. What are you picking next week? My pick is Wonder Woman, number 750 from DC. It is written by Greg Rucka, Gail Simone, Steve Orlando, Cami Garcia, Marguerite Bennett, Jeff Loveness, Mariko Tamaki, Vida Ayala, Shannon Hale, and Dean Hale. With art by Gabriel Piccolo, Jesus Marino, Colleen Duran, and Alina Casa Casagrande. I think there's a couple more, too, including Phil Hester, we believe. Phil Hester, oh. Nicola Scott. Yeah, that's not a okay. List. They didn't get mentioned here. I don't know why. It's really weird. This is 96 pages for $9.99. Here's your solicit. I know 96 pages for $9.99 sounds like a lot, but guess what, guys? Prestige format! An all-star 96-page celebration of the Amazon princess by longtime favorites and acclaimed new voices in the lead story. Wonder Woman's epic year of the villain battle comes to a close, leading the way to new challenges ahead. Which is probably gonna be that G5 shit we talked about. Additionally, this oversized gem tells tales from Diana's past, present, and future by some of the greatest storytellers in the business, including everyone I just named. I love these huge 750, 900, well, you know, whatever special. 1, yeah. Yeah. 96 page giants where they get people who love this character and just want to gush all over them and write a really fun, gushy story. They're, I mean, they're all shorts. They're not going to change much. But we do think this is the first introduction of the DC G5 thing, right? The, it is the, well, it's the first, it's the introduction of the idea that Wonder Woman is the first DC superhero. Okay. So entering, the, how, entering the man's world in, in the early part of the 20th century. I want to see how they pull this off. I'm curious. Yeah, it should be good. It's a great list of creators. Some of our yeah. favorites are on it. Uh, I loved Greg Rucka's run on Wonder Woman, uh, not just the oh, recent yeah. one, but the one back oh, in the yeah. day with Rags and Morales. Uh, Gail Simone's always a treat. Nicola Scott, sign me up. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Fights. It's a graphic novel from Oni Press, written and drawn by Joel Christian Gill. It's 256 pages for $19.99. That is a bargain. Here is your solicit. Propelled into a world filled with uncertainty and desperation, young Joel is pushed toward using violence to solve his problems by everything and everyone around him. Just but, like me. Yes. But fighting doesn't always yield the best results for a confused and sensitive kid who yearns for a better, more fulfilling life than the one he was born into. As Joel learns in a series of brutal conflicts that eventually lead him to question everything he's learned about what it truly means to fight for one's life. Oh, damn. Uh, this just stood out to me as something kind of cool uh it's like a graphic memoir i love a good graphic memoir yeah uh, also 250 pages for 20 bucks not bad that's not bad at not all not bad at all these are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your lcs next week we want to hear about your must-read picks and all the kids that you beat up to get to them Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you would like to hear us review on the show. And do not forget to pre-order all your picks every week or we will beat you up. Maybe don't say that on the air. Why? Uh, we don't want any like recorded evidence. Are you kidding me? We've got 558 episodes of us threatening each other, threatening people, threatening the president. <laughs> Come on. Uh, fair point. It's a little late to worry about this now. <laughs> fair point. Welcome back to another exciting edition of Ask a Nerd, where Matt and I answer your nerdy questions. This week's question comes from cover-to-cover -cover stalwart, BS The Three. Nerds, it's BS Three. I figured I'd call in because my wife had a, a question for me, and I realized it was a powers question I needed help on. Maybe you can help me. 
So she says to me, so did Superman have his powers on Krypton? I said, no, no, he didn't have exposure to the Yellow Sun yet. Uh, they ended up talking about things like crypt, the kryptonite core of Krypton, that sort of thing. So he developed his powers on Earth. So, okay, uh, does he lose his powers at night? I said, no, 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 he he, he stores them, you know, he, he stored his powers. And uh, she asked if his powers ever run out. And that is something where I uh, had pause because I don't know if he runs out of power. I started thinking more and more about Superman 4 um, and whether or not Superman ever runs out of power like his evil clone, the nuclear man. And uh, I just don't have an answer. I feel like there were some specific storylines where it happened, but I don't know if his powers run out or if exposure to different light that nullifies it, but maybe we can help. <laughs> uh, what's it take for Superman's batteries to run out? Is that not how we understand his powers anymore? That's my question. Thanks, nerds. Bye. Joe? Leave it to BS3 to come in with a heady Superman question. We're basically talking about Superman's batteries and how they work. Yeah. I can't think of anybody who knows more about the battery that sits right up inside Superman's butt and makes him go. Do you want to tell the kids how this works? It's Superman's butt battery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Superman's cells act like solar batteries, and they've been charging over the course of his entire life. Uh, in post-crisis continuity introduced by John Byrne, he gradually became stronger and gained new abilities as he aged. So, like, you know, as a kid, he he was probably pretty strong and fast for his age. But then, like, all of a sudden, he sees through stuff. And on his 18th birthday, he figured out he could fly. Uh, so the he, these things kind of stacked over time. Now, if you go back to the Golden Age and the Silver Age, we're talking about straight-up super baby shit. Yeah. Like, from the womb. Well, not from the womb because his mama was on Krypton. But, like, from the moment he landed on Earth, he was, like, lifting trucks. Yeah, Super Baby was, like, probably stronger than the Superman we know now. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that was that was not the case in, uh, in the more modern interpretations. Uh, now, as for how his powers uh, work and, and if they fade, uh, Superman's powers will slowly begin to fade over time after prolonged absence uh, of a solar, of a yellow solar... Uh, body so like if he goes into deep space we'll talk about it in a little bit but uh if there's a if there's a total blackout and the sun never comes back on uh after a few days he'll get weaker and then eventually no more superman perhaps a final night for example per uh, perhaps a final night uh now, now okay, it does let me, take let me ask does, you real quick who let me ask you real quick who introduced that idea the whole like Powers under the yellow sun. Was that John Byrne? No, uh, Superman's powers coming from the yellow. Uh, so there were two. There were two kind of interpretations uh, early on. Uh, it wasn't from the jump. Um, uh, in the Golden Age, uh, Superman had powers because Kryptonians were superior physical speci specimens. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like any Kryptonian would have had would have been the same. They could all um, leap tall buildings in a single bound. Yeah, yeah, yada, yep. yada, yada, They were yada. highly advanced mentally and physically. Uh, not too long after that, they introduced the idea that, oh, no, his powers came from the the combination of uh, Earth's weaker gravity uh, and also his body absorbing solar radiate, solar rays. Eventually, that got rid of the weak gravity thing, and it all, be it all became tied to the sun. Uh, now, the first time I read... Uh, there was an issue of Action Comics. It was uh, Action Comics 590. Uh, I looked at it again this afternoon for research. Uh, it was by John Byrne, and it was back in that era of Action Comics just after the crisis where Action Comics was like a team-up book. Right. And so this issue was Superman and the Metal Men. And the premise was that uh, uh, super, there's an accident at a chemical plant, and Clark Kent... Uh, who's there doing a story falls into a vat of chemicals and doesn't have, like there was no opportunity for him to save himself without revealing his power. So he just had to go so with he, it. So he just turned into the Joker. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, <laughs> they fish him out of the drink. Uh, they fish him out of the drink. And what we learn is that those chemicals are actually the innards of chemo. The giant like glass globby oh, thing from the metal man comics. Chemo or chemo? I always called him chemo. I think it's chemo. <laughs> uh, and uh, Superman's, uh, he, he shed some skin cells into the vat like he like a normal person. And 
the chemical reaction of chemos sentient whatever replicated those uh, cells and he turned into like a super chemo so it was like the glass the glass body of chemo shaped like superman <laughs> fighting the metal man it's ridiculous and i love I'm it i'm thinking of chemo because i don't go to chemotherapy i go to yes chemotherapy. I, all right fine um <laughs> but there's a there's a scene where they defeat him the the way they defeat him is the metal men uh merge together to form a giant dome over his body blocking him from the sun and because his cells are artificially replicated uh they don't store a charge like superman's body so he immediately reverts okay and in that comic uh in that scene superman says it would take several days of this for me to start getting weak because he's been on earth charging up for yeah, years. decades right yeah red sunlight deactivates his powers almost instantly uh as does exposure to green kryptonite which also will kill him gold kryptonite will permanently remove uh kryptonian's abilities now this was pre-crisis uh i don't know if such a thing exists in the modern day i'm, I'm not sure I don't think we've ever seen gold kryptonite past that. I think that was pretty much it. I think it was one um, of those things where they realized this is a story element that, you know, Lex Luthor would never stop chasing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Basically. Uh, I think Jeff Johns brought back the multicolored kryptonites during his run, uh, but I, I think it worked differently. I don't think it was permanent. Now, in his New 52 run, Jeff Johns introduced this idea of uh, Superman's solar flare power. Yeah, that went where, away pretty quick. <laughs> where he could like explode in a burst of energy and using it would deplete him of his powers for several days until he built his charge back up. Thankfully, writers have been ignoring that the past couple of years because it was stupid. We haven't seen that since, right? I think it's maybe happened once or twice, but not since Rebirth, I don't think. So when I was researching this, I saw that and I was like, oh, shit, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a nice list of stories where Superman loses his powers. All and right, they're all cool. pretty fun. Fun. Uh, the first one on my list is Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. This is the oh. final pre-crisis Superman story by Alan Wonderful Warren. Wonderful story. Yeah. Oh, uh, Kurt's so one. good. Uh, in the in the end, Superman voluntarily exposes himself to gold kryptonite after accidentally killing Mister Mixius Pitalik. Which honestly, probably better for everybody. He had turned into like a homicidal rage monster, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. it was bad news. Uh, so, but yeah, at the end there, there's that fi that famous final scene where it's Lois and her husband, right. who looks who does definitely does not look like Clark, Clark Kent, but there is a baby on the floor who looks very much like baby Kal-El uh, and the baby crushes a piece of coal into a diamond. And then at, in the final panel, uh, the, the guy looks at the camera and winks, which was a classic thing Superman did back then. Sure. Uh, Super baby. So shit. Yeah. The, the revelation, the implication is that Superman retired, changed his identity so he could have a real life, but yeah. he passed his powers down. Reign of the Superman which uh, was the storyline that followed the death of Superman. Uh, after sacrificing his life to stop Doomsday, a resurrected Superman finds himself powerless because the Eradicator put his body in like a giant battery and was siphoning his powers. Oh, yeah. What I a forgot dick. about this, too. <laughs> well, I mean, the Eradicator's a bad guy. Yeah. Well, I sure. mean, he, the, the Eradicator is responsible for bringing Superman back to life, but he was using him for power. Superman was restored to full power after absorbing a mix of eradicator energy and artificial kryptonite. Don't worry about it. You can read it if you want to know more. Uh, now, this hard reset of his powers set off a years long chain of stories that eventually led to Electric Blue Superman. Yeah. And that's because Dan Jurgens was on that title the whole time. So he masterminded this whole thing. When he split into electric red and electric blue Superman. There were Superman two red, Superman blue, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was the Superman aliens crossover, which is not strictly in continuity, but still. Uh, Superman responds to a distress call in deep space, far, far, far from the reach of any sun. And so his powers start to fade the longer he's there, which leads to him getting impregoed by a xenomorph. Wasn't it a red sun? I thought there was a red sun there. No, there was uh, one... 
well, my research said that there was just no sun. There was no oh, sun I nearby. I thought it was a red sun, and yeah, I think it was. I think it was a distant red sun, because it was there was definitely daylight. Lee Weeks drew this, I believe, if I recall correctly. It was good. I really uh, liked it. Wikipedia said it was far from the reach of any star, so I don't oh, know. Okay. I mean, maybe there was a red sun. I don't know. I think it was a distant red sun, so he slowly lost his powers, and that's when the shit went down. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, now he makes it back on Earth just in the nick of time, and his restored powers enable him to uh, shit the chestburster out before things get messy. Yeah, because if you that's what you do. If you can beat it, you just poop it out. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. Fine. <laughs> you know. Uh, we've got the aforementioned final night, uh, a, a sun eater, uh, eats the sun <laughs> as do, doing his job, not the, his fault, does what it's it says name. on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, this of like course, yelling at the garbage man for picking up your garbage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this sends earth spiraling toward a new ice age. Uh, Superman loses his powers completely, uh, by the end of the story before Hal Jordan slash parallax sacrifices his life to reignite the sun. Now, after this, Superman remains powerless for months, uh, which allows him to say goodbye to the super mullet right before his wedding to Lois. <laughs> so thank you, Sun Eater. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, perhaps my favorite of the list is Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Superman and Ali box each other for the amusement of an insane alien warlord. Uh, the fight takes place under a red sun, which allows the greatest of all time to whip Superman's ass. He hands him a beating. Well, I mean, come on. He's Muhammad Ali. What do you uh, want, yeah, That's man? right. It's like, hey, ooh. He was a bad mamma jamma. Uh, inexplicably, the book ends with Ali learning Superman's secret identity, and they become best buddies. <laughs> sure. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's a little bit of everything. You, you got your red sun. You got your no yeah. sun. You got your too far away from sun. You got your you got gold your kryptonite. kryptonite. Yeah. All kinds of ways Superman's batteries can be drained. I hope we uh, answered that. I feel like we did. Makes sense. I feel like we it, did too. Now, things have changed over time. We've had varying levels of power in our Superman titles. Sometimes right. they can't resist like reverting him back to like a, a much more godlike Silver Age interpretation. Well, um, every once in a while we'll see him fly like into the sun and like yeah, gets right. supercharged and he flies out like completely badass Superman right. like, or something. Like Post-crisis Superman, the John Byrne era Superman, uh, aside from the very, very early days where he could just jump real far. Right. Uh, that was probably the weakest version of Superman because he could be hurt. Uh, he had, he, he could hold his breath for a really long time, but he still needed to breathe. So when right. he flew into deep space, he had to take an air mask. Wasn't it kind of similar um, with like Grant Morrison's Superman when he did that thing? He, he Oh no. All-star Superman was godlike. No, not all-star Superman. I mean, when Grant Morrison took over the new 52 Superman thing and he was wearing the jeans and like the t-shirt and fighting for the man, like he wasn't real powerful back then. Um, I don't recall, but I think he was. See, I, I think, think he, he was could, still Superman, but he was just Superman as he was getting his start. I didn't think he could he could even fly. As I no, recall. I think he did. Huh. Well, I, I mean, I'd have to go back. I I, yeah, I don't remember. I don't it was too long ago. Um, but yeah, you've got your you've got the All Star Superman version, uh, where he was essentially a god walking the earth, and he was dying, and the sicker he got, the more powerful he became. <laughs> yeah, man. So he eventually goes to live in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do right yeah you know <laughs> but yeah so yeah the the the, the short answer to this the 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 tldr version of this answer is yeah superman can run out of power it just takes some doing sure and we've seen it plenty of times thank you for your question black scorpion we love doing ask a nerd if you guys have a nerdy question that you're just dying to have answered please send it to us post it on the forums Send it, send it in an email. Uh, do what BS3 did. Call it into the voicemail. And we'll play it on the show. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for THN 558. And next time on the show, one of us is going to die. Joe, I've already read the script and no spoilers, but why don't you just ask these nerds a, a new question of the week, buddy? What? How does it end? <laughs> I want to know. This week's question was submitted by me. We want to know your brushes with nerdy fame. Now, 
I'm not necessarily talking about the time you went to a specific con with a specific plan to meet a specific nerdy celebrity. I mean, that's, that's cool, fine. too. Yeah. That's cool, too. And if you want to tell that story, that's great. But I'm talking more like you were in the wild and you ran into some cool creator or nerdy celebrity. I want to know. Uh, as always, we are looking for your question of the week suggestions. We've got a few on uh, on deck. Thank you guys for sending those in. Uh, but always, we, we do this every week, so send always. them in. If you're new to the show and you can't believe Congress is bothering with impeachment when they should be chasing us off the air, I assure you it's only because you're either named in a handwritten letter by Lev Parnas or you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes is not cheap. So we want to thank donors like our newest patron, Stephen Dowell. Do we make that name up? Is he a real guy? Real guy. God damn, Steven. Thank you. We appreciate it. Don't expect anything anytime soon. Okay? Hey! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to former boy wonder Burt Ward, co-star of the 1966 Batman TV series, who was honored this week with the 2,683rd star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Good for Burt, huh? I... I also found out that he and his wife, Tracy, run a dog rescue charity that has saved the lives of more than 15,000 dogs over the past 25 years. Where do you, Ward family? That is amazing. That's awesome. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just dump 15,000 dogs worth of poop in your lawn. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Why would you put that image in my brain? That one wrote itself. There was nothing I could do. (laughs) (laughs) 